KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I am Mark Molyneux. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show all about land use, ideology, and aesthetics. During the program, we have back on Max Kapczynski, and we are having another discussion about San Francisco and why it is cursed. This is a follow-up to previous conversations about San Francisco and why it is cursed. During the program, we uh, drill in on uh, especially its roles of ideology and aesthetics. Also, during the conversation, this is a laid-back, rant-style conversation, uh, as evidenced by Max uh, choosing to continue eating uh, throughout. So, be forewarned. But without further ado, let's just get into things. So welcome back, Max. Oh, hi, Mark. It's good to be back. Oh, it's great to be back. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got, you're got something to eat right now, and we're yeah. talking once again about uh, about SF. Uh, we're last talking about how it's cursed and bad, and I believe that's more or less what we're. Yeah, folks, still cursed. Quarantine has not changed that. In fact, it's probably made it more uh, all the more Lovecraftian in its um, in its magnitude and depth and impact on the soul. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing. I mean, like what people get demoralized by different things, and I think the question is. Some people, if you're like you're in like some, you know, middle of nowhere place, you might even be inspired by SF because like you're like reading, you see in your favorite podcasts and everything's like, oh, SF, you know, has socialist representation. Like it's actually doing stuff. They're finally making Fimby happen. You know, you see how many uh, things they approved. Uh, You know, it's like it's it's crazy how quick they're moving. And I think the problem is when you really dig in deep, uh, you you kind of see the closer you look at it, like SF isn't moving quick on anything. SF is not really inspiring on anything. SF is moving slow. No, exactly. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it's it's got a it's got so much more people and so much more noise. Like when I lived down in in the peninsula, the Yimbian housing discourse there was much better. And the Yimbies were much more clearly like the good guys um, because it, there was no like other in-between force. They were the only like center of like left or center force in housing or social justice or whatever, because it was such a, an island, a deserted island of awfulness. But up here in San Francisco, there's a lot more voices to be heard, ostensibly representing and actually representing politics on various sides of the aisle. But in land use, it's so much more blown out because there's so many different interests. Everyone's got something to say. And people's actual interests are so hidden behind, like, good faith, like, confusion and, like, total bad faith ideology. Yeah, I think every single person in the land use discourse up here, for reasons we talked about, is just bad, (laughs) you know, in SF. As opposed to, like, I think there's something really... Except for you and I, Mark. Absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah, I think you're talking about, like, in the Palo Alto... Yeah, I think it's it's poignant to like everything. It's it's such a hopeless long shot game to do anything right that mm-hmm. it's just uh, you you really have the the, the power of of guerrilla war warfare. Yeah, and the stakes uh, are yeah. so low, and like the powers are so like stacked against you that like like everyone can congratulate themselves for doing good work when like five units have been approved, or like you know get sad and you know have a drink at the bar if five units are not approved. But up yeah. here, like the, the stakes are so much higher. And the like, the eyes of the world are on you, but like, it's so much harder to track. Like, when you do have a victory or not, like, what's going on? Because no matter what happens, someone hates you, and someone's like, like, getting in your mentions. Yeah, and it's so hard to see what's actually happening. 
Yeah. No, and I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, in down down there, I mean, in both places, they have very similar levels of failure as far as, you know, affordability. In, in both places, a lot of money churning around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but up here, you have money churning around, and you actually have, you know, it's like, you know, the pantry, uh, and the rats are in, you know, and, and the rats are the good guys here. Uh, it's like, yeah, there's actually a chance to have something good here, but, like, you know, no one's really channeling this wealth and doing cool stuff with it because... I think mixtures of... And there's something to protect in San Francisco. Well, what are you protecting? You're protecting the old and wonderful buildings that are beautiful. You're protecting the large minority communities that do live here. You're protecting, like, the the semblance of a working class that, well, you know, like, set put upon for many decades is, like, still exists. Whereas in Palo Alto, most of the buildings suck. Almost all of the people suck. There is no working class to speak of. Like, gentrification is not a question because... You're not replacing, like, you're sure, East Palo Alto, sure, but, like, within the city of Palo Alto, like, that's kind of what I mean. Like, yeah. if you were to draw a line around, like, a, a same population neighborhood within San Francisco, the discourse would be a lot clearer. But yeah. since SF is a whole entire city, small as it may be, like, it's so much more nuanced as compared to um, Palo Alto. I mean, I think it's 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 inspiring that it's a real city, as opposed to Palo Alto, yes. it's just just a wreck. But I I think you know to say that oh, there's still a working class here, you know, there's still a chance. I I would say that's the story everyone tells themselves. But the <laughs> ship has sailed. You're you're telling a story from 40 years ago and pretending it's still true. And right now, like what what are the numbers? The uh, the you're a low income uh, household, or maybe it's one earner. Uh, if eighty two thousand dollars a year, that's that's low income. Uh, there, there's a stat, and this is uh, one of one of uh, the big nonprofits uh, was was quoting this, saying, uh, actually, over the last ten years, San Francisco is the most gentrified city, uh, and this is based upon stats showing thirty-one percent. Well, well, let me let me get to the end of this, but it's pretty Please. funny. Thirty-one percent San Francisco, uh, like next was like Denver was at twenty-seven, Boston at twenty-one. It's like, oh wow. But here's the thing. This is based upon centrist, uh, census MSAs, and uh, this is. And if you didn't know, the MSA for the uh, for the San Francisco is actually San Francisco and Oakland. Actually, it also oh, includes the, the um, MSA being metropolitan statistical area. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's broken up. It actually contains San Mateo County, includes Marin. Uh, Does it? Oh, okay. wow. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and if you look at it, you can actually look at their 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 info on where the gentrification has happened you look at san francisco it's empty mission not a single uh census uh, tract uh the only things you see are hunter's point uh that's the oh, only so they, don't, they don't track gentrification is even happening in the mission no i think they're saying not in the last 10 years that happened a while ago it's by the technical definition they're using for gentrification it's like gotcha. no you're already affluent you know, this is an affluent city. Gentrification. Or the people that are left are not being moved. Whereas in Hunter's Point, yeah, like tracks yeah. are being leveled and like huge complexes. Like, sure. Like, uh, I think it's 50 in Escort in Hunter's Point. That's just this, this god awful, like depressing looking, like Emeryville ass. Yeah, it's like, is, is Emeryville being gentrified? No, it was done 15 years ago. Hunter's Point is being gentrified right now. Yes, and I mean that's the only place in SF. Whereas, look at the actual overall, and Oakland, you know, is mm-hmm. just you know bright, you know, red. Every mm-hmm. single tract, 
and that is the overall question. Like it, it's consider one region, uh, but if there, if you're really looking at trying to do the best thing for best people, the best thing SF can do is stop screwing over Oakland. And will it do it? No, they have no, they have no desire at all to do this. Yeah, this is one of the this, fun. <laughs> yeah, because the gentrification goes is used like to talk out of both sides of their mouth by so many people. Because you know, yeah. like you have to, you would have to build in like if you take it, you know, as right that gentrification has like ravaged San Francisco, and there's like, it's like there's barely anything more it can do. It's like fly picked corpse. Well, then we must yeah. start building in San Francisco to take the pressure off Oakland. Um, but then the people that would say that are like, oh yes, you know, where we build in San Francisco is not the west side, it's not the north side. It's um continuing to demolish people's, you know like nice pretty San Francisco apartments in the mission like continuing to the missions being picked been picked over but I think the people that are left are so entrenched because they've like the ones that are left are the ones that have really good rent control protection and have like the greedy landlords who wanted to sell out have done so long ago that like the bad faith people don't want to like who take it as read that gentrification is over now we must build in San Francisco no you can't build on the west side you have to build the mission and the socialists you know you know broadly construed who don't want to building in San Francisco at all will be like, no, gentrification is still well going on, just like it's going on in Oakland. And we'll use that as an argument against building anywhere. But that does not stop gentrification. It's 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 so impossible to track, regardless of one's ideology, practically. Yeah, I mean, it goes down to, like, what is the actual fight against gentrification? It's less of something you can actually quantify and fight against and actually mm-hmm. have uh, campaigns and tactics. Instead, it's yeah, like no a No one's weird... got an answer. Yeah, it's, it's a weird moral religious war that actually has to do with how you feel, what's in your soul. I, I mean, not to punch left and punch down, but up in Seattle at the Chaz, uh, like mm-hmm. the weird anarchist uh, thing yeah. that go in there. Chaz they made update. a Yeah, they made a list of demands, and part of it is like, we need to reverse gentrification in, in Seattle. Cool, and, dude. And, and, and tell they're, me they're, how. Please, and they're, please they tell they me had, how. They had one, one strategy to do that, which is uh, rent control. Which I'll say this: rent control is good policy. Yes, rent uh, it good. should should happen. Yes. Uh, it will give people stability. It one hundred percent. There's like it. It has people who are already in a place have stability there. How? Hey, buddy, how is that going to do? How is that going to reverse gentrification? It I will see not bring zero. back a single person. Yeah, it will not bring back anybody. And like people can be pre- pushed out for any kind of reason. And like techies can get those rent control apartments. The buildings can still be demolished. The landlords can still get their way. Like it does not yeah. fight the market. It does not bring anybody back. And like, yeah. that's why, you know, there was a great uh, Boots Riley tweeted the other day after speaking in Oakland. They're like, I, you know, love to all my anarchists out there. I just wish they were all communists. Smiley face. It's like, yes, thank you, Boots Riley, for like being like the only person who hasn't, who, like the person who like tweets the things that I agree with most. Thank you. Yeah, because like anarchists will say like, yes, rent control. Yes, I can name a policy. I can point at a policy, but you don't have a bigger vision of how to build a better city, build a city for everyone, bring people back. Because it's so much more than rent control. Like, the ideal city would be one where rent control is not necessary. Yeah, I mean, I and I, I think I am sympathetic to some of the moral aims and the kind of, you know, uh, of, of anarchism. But yeah, it, it absolutely is not a system here that is even willing to say, oh, let's actually, you know, just take back all of the resources in the city and distribute mm-hmm. it to people. It's like, yeah, you actually need to actually show some muscle to do that. Yeah. And like something that I've been thinking a lot about in politics is the the conflict and the confusion and the endless like 
endless like turmoil in people's especially in the discourse um but also in the halls of power mostly the discourse people's confusion of like individual salient logical facts and you know streams of of decision confusing you know that logical sphere with the aesthetic or inspirational or feeling yeah. sphere of thinking about things and then one's ideology um that often the, those like ideology is not spoken about ideology underpins a lot of things or people's actually like, aesthetic concerns will underpin a lot of things but everyone is trying to pretend like they're using logic when in fact most yeah. people are like cynically underpinned by their ideology for their individual gain or like or like you know or naively inspired by aesthetics but everyone is trying to pretend that they have like the factual and logical grip on things even though it's just not true for anybody but people want to pretend that you know everyone wants to pretend that they're the you know the logical and inspired person um but it's all been completely co-opted by ideology and by lack of understanding yeah i think it's always good advice to try to second guess your own aesthetic knee-jerk reactions because if it feels good it probably is bad for you you know it's probably tricking you uh, but okay, so when we we're talking like last about San Francisco, like one of the things happening was uh, Dean Preston versus Valley Brown for a mm-hmm. seat, uh, and certainly you know, you know I, I'd say my takeaway is you know Valley Brown, uninspiring, bad news, uh, homeowner, homeowner evictor, yeah, uh, big d- doesn't snooze, yawn, yeah, doesn't really have anything to speak of as far as uh, you know. I think having a positive radical vision. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, Dean. She's Preston, like a mods. She's a mods mod. She's London. Oh yeah. It's like handmaiden. Like, what's to say? Yeah. She's she's boring. Like she, she may might, she uh, may be coming back for for more, and it's really funny. It's like, oh yeah, let's uh, she, uh, she's going to inspire us this time around. Uh, yeah. When well, I was thinking, like, oh, she's probably made some statements about you know some completely like bland and substanceless statements about social justice that are actually distractions. I can't even picture of a thing that she said. I, I I can picture her as, you know, I wasn't paying that close attention to her, but like. I can't even yeah. picture like a distraction that she would offer, like a a Peskin-esque or whatever distraction yeah. from like her actual you know allegiances. I can't even picture that. So boring, boring. Yeah, exactly. And and Dean Preston, I I think you uh, you know going into the election last time, it's just you know what you're going to get, which is you know uh, you know good rhetoric, uh, good uh, vision of kind of oh yeah you know things. Let's protect uh, renters. You know, he yeah. has a good, you and know, uh, undying love from the DSLA slash podcasting left, which I've, yeah. <laughs> I've grown to appreciate a lot more since then. I've done a growth since the last time I appeared on the HGP, but right. um, I would stand by most of the things I said about um, Preston. And I, I would say I've, I've been more pleased than disappointed with him in the intervening time. But, but yeah, let, let's talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's the thing. It's like, I think uh, he is someone who I think has as a good moral compass will actually fight for the little guy but i would say also has one of the i think most blinkered vision of like what's screwed up at san francisco what needs to change and he's really just effectively a good-hearted conservative in that sense whereas you know i think a lot of people say he is a socialist he wants to change things i'm seeing no sign anywhere he wants to change anything he has no plans to dispossess property owners there's no plan exactly and to me that's what a socialist is is when you actually Mm -hmm. uh take from some people and give back to others and i don't see that that's what i was that's why i'm constantly going back to this like interplay of like logic aesthetics and ideology like yeah people confusing them and one speaking for the other because dean preston seems like pretty firmly like aesthetically 
and sentimentally a socialist in his like in his statements in how he organizes and even in his actions as a tenant lawyer but when you take it up to the next step your actions as a supervisor where you actually do have the power to start doing things like dispossessing homeowners he's acting like a lib it's like let's yeah. make muni cheaper or if not free like you're now an incrementalist lib if not even a conservative like because your ideology like doesn't have to butt heads with like what it really means to be a communist or a socialist if you're just a tenant lawyer like you don't you don't have a bigger vision of what you would do as a supervisor because you're mostly just aesthetically committed to something like socialism yeah i, I think what we do have uh, the bay area is, is a rich 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 wonderland of of people who are consider themselves left-wing socialists real mm-hmm. radicals but who are comfortable homeowners Yes. Uh, and, you know, he, he fits well into that mold. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think here's the thing that's been, I think, you know, what we did not anticipate is a global pandemic and the fact that someone who is, uh, I think, an accomplished and savvy uh, supporter of rights for tenants is actually an in, in, uh, extremely crucial fit at a time like this. Yes. Uh, and I, he's doing like that's why he's like. Because yeah, yeah back so he, in like the he's 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 not disappointed me. He's in fact impressed me in quite a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely, and I, I think it's it's the right time and place. You know what what is you know his long term blind spots? I don't see any signs those have changed. But uh, what's actually very you know cool is you don't who cares right now? Right now we're in the midst of a of a, a lot of suffering and 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 uh, people being turned their heads. Uh, let's uh, let's get back to that. But still, you know, it's 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 still happening all around us. And like Dean actually has done a bunch of work in this. Like, great, you're not just like a tenants lawyer with merely aesthetic approaches to socialism or whatever. You're actually doing the work, and you're not just calling in the discourse for things like rent freezes and eviction moratoriums, but you're actually putting in legislation and fighting with the mayor on real political terms for things like this hotels for homeless bill that we're going to talk about a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, okay. So that's one of the things. Uh, I mean, well, I think w- offhand, and there's you know more to talk about. Uh, but you know, he has worked to put in kind of uh, what is now permanent eviction moratoria due to COVID-related mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember. This still has to do with the fact that it was put on as uh, some like you know some kind of crazy uh, wonkish loophole in which it is consumer level debt which is cannot be enforceable for an eviction it's like okay if that works it works i don't really have to know the mojumbo never claim to understand yeah my god yeah uh but okay so but here is one of the main things which is you know the homeless population in sf uh in you know just normally is is gigantic uh something like uh 7500 i think is a figure uh compared to they have like 3500 shelter beds uh, and you know, in a massive uh, global health crisis, that isn't great. And like the seventy five hundred, who? How does that track people who are like couch surfing, living in their cars, blah 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 blah? Like, I would yeah, I bet mean, that those you have to upgrade those figures by a pretty big margin. Yeah, it is, it's an estimate, and it's very very hard to get numbers on this. Uh, but mm-hmm. the main thing is, you know, uh, yeah, homeless populations are at extremely high risk. Uh, for uh, f- yeah. for the virus, uh, what would be something that would be good? It would be you know housing them, uh, and what yeah, happens? It's during... almost like if people are unhoused, you should perhaps house them. Yeah, that'd be that'd be ideal. Uh, and you know uh, what happened at the same time? Ninety percent of hotel rooms uh, are empty in SF. It's like mm-hmm. let's get let's match A to B, uh, and make that happen. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, so what, what what happened originally? I mean, this is I mean, this is kind of where it goes down. It's like okay, uh, acquiring almost two thousand hotel rooms, uh, and then you know, housing people in them. And this was this happened uh, f- uh, early early April, and uh, this cost uh, thirty five million dollars. And I guess here's which the thing so too. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing about San Francisco as well, which is, uh, I mean, like if you're I'm, making a profit off of this, you're not requisitioning the hotel rooms. Yes, and I think this is you know it's San Francisco in a lot of ways. It's kind of like you know the spoiled rich kid version of you know doing you know left wing action because you know the money is mm-hmm. there. You can tap into it. You can just continually go to the well, and you know it's. It, it's not a good model for what you can export to other places because other places yes. just aren't not as wealthy as this is. Yeah, and like if you're if you're running San Francisco and there's some uncomfortable question, you can just cough and look at your feet, and someone will either swoop in and like do what you can't do, or people will just forget about it. Like, oh yeah, what do we do about all these unhoused people? <clears throat> I don't <Yeah>. really know. <clears throat> but now during COVID, it's the issue is being forced, and I gotta say, I am. I am impressed with Dean Preston because, you know, around the country, elsewhere, like someone who has got a merely aesthetic commitment to socialism, nothing else, would probably have a bunch of bad takes. Like, it's, oh, it's not actually so simple as housing these people. But no, Preston's out there being right about things and pushing in in ways that are that are good and that confront the mayor and the entrenched powers that would be happy to just, like, put them all in the uh, Metreon Gulag or the Moscone Gulag and that. Uh, and let them sit, but Preston's out there doing good stuff. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a, originally, I think one of the first people to bring this up is Willie Brown, who writes his column still, and people are like saying, it's like, oh, Jesus, even Willie Brown has a good point, which is just like, is this, does this make sense that it costs to house these people in hotels uh, $35 million over these people? That's uh, like almost $200 a night, $197. Yeah, which over the month... I just Googled um, Willie Brown Bloomberg, and yeah, I saw that he endorsed Bloomberg, so... Oh, of yeah, course. It's nice, I, there's it's nothing nice to more use than your bully that. pulpit when you don't actually have power, slick Willie. But uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I think it's like twenty eight hundred dollars a month is what that comes to, which is just that's so I mean, insane. Yes, and here's the thing: it's like you know, San like, Francisco. Will the city pay me to have someone on my couch? I would love that much. I would wash their clothes. Sure, I'd find someone yeah. who I get along with. No, I mean, I think people are mentioned, like, just, you know, San Francisco is a place for the extremely wealthy and the extremely poor. And, you know, there's, I think, more and more money is being coughed up for, you know, uh, services for people. And that's great. But there's kind of a weird thing here, which is kind of like, that's not really how you build, like, a sustainable uh, functioning society is that you say, like, oh, yeah, if you are indigent, uh, you get this, but then we have like a, the middle class that we also try to keep in their kind of normal way of life because that's also kind of the separate thing, which is what is San Francisco? It's a place of tycoons, it's a place of big biz, it's a place of a lot of quaint normal homeowners, it's a place of yeah, a bunch of scrappy young renters, and it's a place where a lot of people are in like this decidedly nightmarish underclass. Yeah. And Part of the part of the political program is we will take care of, you know, doing the right thing for the underclass. But don't worry if you're part of, you know, the normal middle class, you won't notice a thing. Uh, and that's 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 yeah, and in more... fact, that's the promise. It's like and it's, it's it, it is oriented more around like getting the homeless people out of your face rather than actually housing them. 
which is why yes. people can say such a thing. Like, that's why it's not as simple as housing them. Because to the people, the middle class people in San Francisco who actually want to be satisfied by its politics, like, they just want to see fewer broken windows and see fewer homeless people. That's what they so, want. It can so be what... simpler than housing them. You just get them out of their neighborhood to these people. Yeah. It is that simple. And I guess here's the thing, too. It's like, you know, we are talking about, okay, so what does it take to take, you know, let's say, let's just say for the sake of argument, it's a static population of like 8,000 homeless. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you can kind of build stuff for them. You know, you can kind of like requisition hotels. You know, we have the money. We can do it. And don't worry, you won't notice a thing. That's that's kind of the, the argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, at a certain There's level. so much wrong with that. Yeah, if you're doing it, you actually have to take zero-sum resources and redistribute it, which means mm-hmm. that someone's taking a cut somewhere. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, we're going to take it from the billionaires. You know, the billionaires are the only people taking a haircut. It's like, well, I mean... No one's saying that? that. No one in power is saying that. No, I mean, but that's it's a, it's a very easy line to tell yourself to say, like, oh, we can fix San Francisco so easy. And oh, sure, but, like, easy. no one in power is even pretending that that's the case. Preston is saying we should, but yeah. even London Breed is saying, like, even openly saying, like, yeah, we have the money to fix this and we just won't spend it. Sure. Like, I have like, total contempt for you because that's what happened. Like, this hotels for homeless thing. Like, the city was paying too much money and it's outrageous and stuff, but like, the city was not even going to spend the money because it's up to the mayor's office to actually execute. If we have a strong mayor or whatever, to actually execute yeah. the budget recommended by the council or whatever. And the mayor can well, just refuse to spend the money. Yeah. And so originally, so uh, they, they uh, had the almost 2,000 units, and then they went back, and the Board of Supervisors voted to say, okay, we now have 7,000 more units. This is going to be about $100 million. Yeah, To house the full homeless population. Yes, exactly, uh, because during during the health crisis, at least, mm-hmm. and which basically, yeah, you, as you said, kicks it to the mayor, and the mayor says, it's like, okay, and then kind of just didn't do it <laughs> like for like there's stories going on it's it's you know you can track the the details and i, I think you know looking at the numbers we're looking at this a bit ago uh they now have about four thousand units yeah, so i don't even let, think the mayor issued an official statement like yeah, I think so, she was just like was like yes this is important to house the pup and just never issued an official statement about the bill which she just like let sit on her desk and let it die yeah, and I think I mean here's the thing: she got you know uh, a lot of write up in the fact that she personally uh, like called up the the police to, uh, commissioner to say, oh please clean up uh, the homeless population on my lunch break, mm-hmm. and you know some people said after this it's like, you know, is this even bad politics? Do most people care? And I think you know it's probably true. Like I think if you are on the left fringe of the discourse, it is obviously a moral outrage. But if like most voters who are, you know, middle class, whatever. Ding, ding, ding. Who pro- like, yeah, San Francisco just... registered voters, I would say a vast majority approve of like, at least on that issue, how the mayor is handling things. Exactly. And, and that's that's the thing. So I think if you want to talk about, uh, you know, making change, it's probably better to actually specify what the change you want is than merely disapproving of when people do things which is outrageous, outrageously callous even though it's like, yeah, I mean, most people just don't care and, you know, for yeah. better, or for worse. Again, that's another reason I'm impressed by Dean because he's not just saying like, Mayor Breed, we won't, ha-, like doing a big tweet where he was like, we won't stand up to this, blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, I'm writing the bill. It's on your desk. It's right there. Do yeah. the thing that I told you. And she's saying, no, like I, again, respect, respect and appreciation. Sure. No, and that's the thing. I think you're looking at you know more fissures in the in the prog mod 
division. And like what is the old division is kind of, you know, the progs, they, 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 the police of homeowners, they're officially against big biz, even though I think on the record, they will do things like actually, you know, permit poor businesses uh, as long as they don't really, you know, own the, yeah. the issue. And like uh, are openly on the side of small to medium biz and homeowners. Yeah. Like they don't even could... bother to hide it because they're like cloak. They'll like do their social justice thing by being like, we're against tech, but we're for like, you know, local, like big, like landlord. Stuff yeah. Like I mean, that. yeah. If you, if you are a small biz, you're fine. If you're a chain, uh, you're evil, you know, it's all aesthetics. Uh, yes. but then well, on like, top of and underneath it, it's ideology very much. So I, mean, I think it's, I think it's incoherent. Twitter, you can tell them to buzz. It's, 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 I'd say it's, if the ideology of the progs, I mean, it's pretty incoherent, but they can tell Twitter to buzz off while like, like taking very seriously like like local like a say a Chinatown Chamber of Commerce or a Marina Restaurateurs Group or imagine yeah. something like that because they're here well, they're already a... paying taxes they live here they're voting for you but Twitter yeah. like they are not voting for you most people who hear any kind of news about what happens or doesn't happen with the Twitter headquarters that doesn't affect the votes in San Francisco so underneath sure. it when actual comes to actual votes it, it is I think clearer to me why the, why the progs do what they do Exactly. I mean, in the end, uh, no one is really advocating for we need to actually like shrink the entire economy. We need to be small. We need to end commerce. Everyone wants commerce, but you got to be quaint commerce. You know, yeah, well, even you Dean need... Preston is not an anti-growther. Even even Preston isn't because he's absolutely, absolutely. Not, he's exactly. not a he's not a purely Twitter-based moron. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like I think the people who want to say that he really is the living embodiment of Lenin would say like, "Oh no, you know, he actually will completely change the way everything works." When really, Lenin wasn't anti-growth either. Lenin wanted Lenin would fill in the Baylands. Uh, yeah, with I mean, the corpses that's, of the landlords. I mean, what? Yeah, it, it took a. I mean, it took a lot of scrappy will once you take over a backwards third world country and actually industrialize it. Yeah, backwards uh, third but, world country like uh, San Francisco, MSA. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, some people say, oh, the, the issue is industrialization. We need more, you know, Richard Scarry type, you know, uh, you know, commerce happening in our town. And that's the way San Francisco is. That's our values. People on Twitter are confusing aesthetics with ideology again. <laughs> no, I just think the Richard Scarry universe is what they actually want. They want, uh, they want you know, a city to look like, you know, a picture book for children. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant oh, yeah. fiction. Because, like, even like the left left of center people who like like they're aesthetically communists or whatever but deep down underneath a lot of them are like um, uh train guys as you as you might say and they yeah. want like a city where stuff is happening and there's little worms in in motor cars driving around and yeah there's apartment buildings and stuff like that like good yes you, you want to see it but like when it comes down to actually like how do we grow a city you know who you know who you know has to to like whose power is being moved around and who's, you know, being intruded upon by, you know, building this new building, everyone starts squawking. And you yeah. know, the people with actual ideology, you know, get their stuff done. And and here's the the issue, which is if your ideology is small is beautiful, but you also have trains, like who's funding these trains? Where's the money coming from? Because I'll say this, every good train in the world is funded through commerce. Yes. Uh, and I think it's very funny to imagine like, oh, you have, you know, a bunch of like hippies in Berkeley who like, you know, fund some uh, some train that only runs through their little town or their neighborhood. But like, oh, no, they don't in Berkeley have... are especially older ones. Hippies in Berkeley are not like... 
I'm talking about like Twitter leftists who like don't really have an ideology when it comes yeah. to things at smaller than a country. Yeah. Groups of people smaller than an entire population or a race. Like they like Twitter Twitter communists are pretty unideological when it comes down to city stuff. They become more and more just aesthetic or impulse driven. Like well, they, they, think, they they might yeah. like trains and like the when they were in you know, in the countryside in, you know, eighteen eighteen eighties England or whatever, but when it comes to how would you put a new one down here? Yeah. Like no one would have any consistent thing to say because they haven't fought through that part of what makes a city what it is. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it is an ideology, and the ideology is, it's, you know, the status quo is good, it's quaint, it's lovely. Anything new is bad, it's big business, it's, you know, it's a neoliberalism. Uh, and it's very easy to say that, but, you know, every single, look at the Muni, look at the Bard. Every part of that was actually laid down by big commerce. Call it neoliberal if you want to, but do you like trains? How are you going to fund them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you want jobs in your city? Yes or no? If you say no, here's a sad fact. You're probably not going to have trains. Yes. Probably not going to have buses. And then people uh, who like, you know, people who like hold, you know, minor positions of policy or office on Twitter being like, now that we've torn down the Confederate statues, we should tear down another racist monument, highways. It's like, great, congratulations. That's an ideology that is that is free of ideology and that is a politics that absolutely nobody would support. Wonderful. I, mean, I would, I would support it. That would it. get nothing. But like yeah. tearing, but like that would that would go through any law based on that would go absolutely nowhere. Sure. No, because like quite... the, the broad group of Twitter people that are like respond to the aesthetics of like doing an anti racism by destroying a highway. Like you hold no local power. Anyone that holds local power does not give a hoot about you know your yeah. take that highways are racist. Like. And anyone who's who's not political is like, how how am I going to get to work, my friend? Like, there's no train to go on. There's no way to do it that's not on the highway. Yeah, I that was a fight in the late '80s. Uh, Rose Pack. Uh, supported the Embarcadero Highway because mm-hmm. she felt her constituents, working people in Chinatown, they needed that highway in the Embarcadero. And it was intractable to get rid of it until the earthquake took it down. Yeah. And I think in the end, I think we all say, like, oh, that was, you know, it was it was a good result uh, because the highway really was awful. Mm-hmm. But it was an intractable political solution at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think getting rid of any highway we have now, also an intractable political solution. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, it's because, it, you know, it's people, they, they want to use their, their resources, you know? Yes. Well, and like, the, like highways are a, you know, huge installed capital improvement that like the economy and everybody benefits from it. Yeah. We would benefit more overall if there was an alternative to it, like trains that were perhaps funded by taking away some of the subsidies that highways have, or yeah, some of, like, by <laughs> properly taxing some of the improvements that could be realized by trains, but we're not doing that. Yeah, so if just, we didn't put 80% into highways at a federal level and 20% everything else, we'd see a much better world. And that's, I guess, my thing about highways. Yes. It's like, I dislike it because it's not prudent, not because it's big. Honestly, yes. trains are also pretty damn, you know... Uh, you know, horrific result of commerce if you don't like commerce. But honestly, I feel like it's like, I mean... Well, there's no horrible stories about, like, black neighborhoods being leveled to build a train because all the trains were built, all the lines were laid in the 19th century. Like, no new major train lines in any American city. Like, they were all based... They were all built in the, in the 20th... They are all built in the 19th century, if not the early 20th century. 
Yeah, and they're connecting new places. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't about yeah. the cities uh, developed around them, like in a in a much slower and more organic way. Just as like suburbs, you know, coalesced around the new highways that were built. But that's within everyone's lifetimes, and they remember that. And it's aesthetically, you know, garbage and awful. Whereas yeah. trains promoted actual like dense cities and all of the good things we actually enjoy about cities. But like, no one's had to build a train, a new train line in this country like a new one, not just like a Sella the thing or whatever. No yeah. one's had to build a new train line in this country in a hundred years. No one knows how to do it. No one has, yeah. like, no one ideologically knows how to do it. It's all aesthetics. And like, exactly. tearing and, down and a freeway is anti-growthism. It's purely aesthetic anti-growthism, like tear down the race of sure. freeways. Sure, and then and that's the fight over transit, which is just like, oh, what can you all agree on? And can we agree on free muni? And if you agree on free muni, it's like, is that a good goal? You know, maybe, I mean, I'd say, I, I maybe I'd say extremely cheap muni would be a better sure. goal, like 25 right. cent. Uh, Increase property like, taxes. But yeah, I mean, he, yeah, how are you going to, how are you going to pay for it? What is the actual revenue source? And also, are you planning to expand stuff? Because, you know, this is the fight over. Uh, Make registering you know, a car in the city of San Francisco cost $1,500 a year. That would help. Yeah. I mean, if you took. Like, reg that, is you, like two, 300 bucks. That's too cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's insane people can live in a place and not pay for parking to live in yeah. in a city like San Francisco. But that is the case. And, I mean, I just think that's that's a question of, like, you know, you get to, like, uh, you know, it sounds like it's like Paul Ryan. Like, oh, how are you going to pay for it? But really, here's the thing. Like, you are a city, and for, unfortunately, unfortunately, you can't issue your own currency. You do actually need to figure out how you're paying people. I thought that's, that's what Bitcoin too. was, dude. Yeah, I mean, the city I, I of mean, San Francisco issuing its own fiat currency. And Berkeley did that. What you know, they, they did? Oh, yeah, please. the Berkeley Berkeley Bitcoin was great. Uh, oh, I forget exactly boy. what the po- point was. I think they just wanted to like say, "Oh yeah, we're disrupting." Uh, but oh, love my they, hometown, love you, Berkeley. Oh, it's great. Oh. Uh, no, I, I think it's like what are the fight? Everyone wants to do a bunch of like I think quaint, cutesy, you know, I think feel good fights over everything, which is like what do we want? Free transit. You know, how much money should the bus drivers get? They should get more money. You know, you know, it's like and like should we have more lines? Yes, we should have a lot more lines. You know, and what do you do at homeowners? Do we want to tax them more? It's like no, they're quaint, you know, people in our town. You know, let's just tax. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're not coming from any ideological framework. It's all aesthetic. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like if you, all you want is feel good, you know, positive some stuff, like that isn't really the core of an ideology, which I think in some cases has to answer the question, how do you deal with the resources and who gets what? Yeah, uh, in, and how do you make proportion? things happen beyond a state? Yes. <laughs> because like one of your Obama-esque politicians who would, you know, like the, uh, would be a, like a mod in San Francisco could say, you know, yes, this transit should be free or like tweet like, Transit should be free. Transit should be free. Yeah, Transit should yeah, be free. Yeah, yeah. And like not do anything. Because you've com- you've done the aesthetic thing you need to do, but you've not followed through because no one's paying attention. And because you're not working with a constituency, you're just, you're just messaging, you're just discoursing. Because you don't have an ideological commitment to doing it. Like look at the things Obama did and didn't do. If he cared about something deeply ideologically, he tended to do it and or, or oppose it. And that's the list of things he did. That's why it's much smaller... And, you know, more conservative than things you talked about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you actually have to fight for things and you have to you actually have to fight for taking away and in, in working within resources. And it's not mm-hmm. it's not easy. It's a lot easier just to say, like, give a stirring speech, have a warm and fuzzy feeling and then just do nothing. And that's why we have, I think, a left, which is 
almost more or less a conservative status quo preserving left because that's the only thing you can get. It's in, increasingly suburban. Views. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to across the board. What's a four quadrant winner? You get you know young people you know stirred up because you know their their leaders are so epic, and then you get the middle class people say it's like, oh no, don't worry, you know. Everything is just fine the way you are. We just need to get rid of Orange Man in the White House. You know, it's just like you just want to make everyone don't feel get me like started, my God. No, no, he's a he's a Cheeto. And uh but here's like okay, one more thing about just I think you talk about like what is the rhetoric over we just need to deliver the warm and fuzzy thing that makes everything good, but then just any lack of uh vision on what that means uh, here is here's like this stupid stupid fight last week uh, with uh, with Dean uh, pointing out. So here's the story: some some house in his uh, some parcel in his district, a vacant lot on Grove Street. Someone was uh, going to propose building a quadplex there. Uh, this passed this passed the planning commission unanimously, uh, which I think you know if from what people are saying, this means almost inherently uh, it's going to it's going to just sail through. But he instead, after getting a few uh, very typical appeals from NIMBYs around this area, around the, the parcel, uh, you know, then appealed it to the entire board of commissioners, uh, board of supervisors, uh, and said, you know, we have to actually put this to a vote, which is, people say this is an extremely unusual step. Uh, and people say, it's like, wait, what, why did you, why did you go out of your way to appeal this based upon the NIMBY results? Uh, and then he, his response is, oh, what are you talking about? This landlocked proposal for a handful of market rate units that's before the board behind some twisted all housing matters theory. What does that project have to do with housing as a human right? The subject of the original poster's tweet, uh, which I mean, here's the thing. It's like, do you want housing as a human right? Like, do it. Like, what does that mean? Like, what I think that would mean not listening to the homeowner NIMBYs who want everything to stay the same, I don't think blocking this vacant lot turning into it's a complex... It's a vacant lot, people. And, like, yes. that's what, like, is, is, like... That was one of the first things I picked up about Preston the first time I ever saw him speak, is he said a bunch of stuff like, yeah, you can't build your way out of a housing shortage. You know, more housing is not the answer to this. I'm like, I think he might really believe that. And, like, I don't know how much of that is, like, an aesthetic commitment to this, like left populism that is like that is aesthetically against landlords and stuff like that or if he really ideologically as a homeowner and renter out of units if he really is against her for those reasons i can't tell because he says things like that and it really pisses me off and further underscores that that like that like online socialists don't know how cities work or should work don't know how land use power structures work and don't want to know Yes, and I think it's very easy to say, it's like, oh, you know, we shouldn't have a private quadplex in this valuable property. We should instead have it be, you know, a massive, you know, uh, Fimby Tower. But, you know, he is not yes, proposing of course, that. But you're not, exactly, not proposing that. He has no real plan to get there. And, you know, what is the plan? Like, is there a plan for acquisition uh, from the city from this? Like, no, no one's saying that. No one's yeah, talking no. about it. And, and, like, you look at, like, what they're doing with the few properties they do have, Balboa Park, it's because they're listening to NIMBYs. They have a, mm-hmm. a limited FAR uh, floor area ratio of, like, mm-hmm. that limiting this, like, a 1,000 units. And this could easily have 6,000, even 20,000 units. Mm-hmm. And, like, what? Like, what is stopping you yes. if you're, like, if you're, if you're, if you're, Pissing away. Say, like it's your it's your lack of 
lack of is you know aesthetic or ideological commitments to actually doing these things that are maybe I think it's your lack of ideology like like doesn't you know breach the gap with these things that you consider ugly like having sure. to build more units or ooh even if it is totally under your control which like a socialist ideologically and aesthetically should be committed to owning building state owned and operated equitably projects like utilities infrastructure housing like that's what that's that's supposed to mean housing is a human right and all that stuff like if if like you know if i were to you know use the communist side of my brain when i read that that's what i think but i genuinely don't think what people think that the heck that means when they say it if they you know are the kind of person that like like the take on the the rest of that twitter thread was like oh dean preston are you comparing you know market rate housing to like all lives matter and i'm like i think he's trying to draw that aesthetic comparison I don't know what he really thinks idea ideologically. Like, is he really trying to like fight against it in that way? Like, I just don't. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just more or less kind of what feels right. What feels right is you know, am I going to fight to get this quadplex? Like, no, you actually didn't have to fight. Just just don't don't block it. That's all you need to do. But on top of it, like, it's kind of like, oh, he wants to have housing as a human right but without a program. And I think the same day, there was the whole Article 34 thing uh, where he very you know, loudly announced uh, that you know he is pushing forward a, a new area of approvals for Article 34 exemptions to allow San Francisco to build uh, 10,000 units of public housing. Uh, and sure. just, to be ve- just to be very clear, this pre-approval did nothing to actually, uh, you know, put aside the resources yeah, to actually the ground yeah which is not just kind of even paying for stuff but also you know you have a you know 49 square uh, square mile area you need to actually determine where you're building it and how and why and it's going to piss people off mm-hmm. and you have to be realistic about this and or be those... fantastical about it issue a grand yes. plan and like say we're going to build this there you can't just issue like some wishy-washy like dream of plan Sure, and, and actually, I think we're gonna say thing. like, because you can, because like, say like like the Google plan for where they were gonna build their housing in, in Mountain View or whatever, like that was not like a, like a dream, like a starry-eyed socialist dreamers perspective of how they're gonna house tens of thousands of people. It was Google's extremely self-centered and self-interested um, plan for how they were gonna build stuff to benefit their workers, but it yeah. put, it's putting the numbers on the board, and that's what really matters. And like, are you gonna let Google? you know, do more for housing as a human right than, than you, Mr. Dean Preston, who wants to, you know, you want to save, you want to, you want to do that by preventing people from being evicted, you know, two at a time or saving, yeah. like buying out and paying, you know, market rate or more lucrative rates to, to people to buy out, um, to buy out houses under threat and stuff like that. When you could be building public housing, like I, it's where the rubber meets the road. And I, I, I have yet to see that from him. And this is this is a clash of ideologies. You talk about like what do people like what is the real ruling ideology of Silicon Valley? And it is, you know, kind of a cursed thing. It is this ideology of people who want uh, there to be, you know, private governments and disruption and, you know, kind of, you know, just throw technology and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, savvy dreamers who know the technical know how to make it happen. 
Uh, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of things that are scary about that. It's, it's well, I think riding on the coattails of that are people that just want to see the government abolished and yes, people that I want mean, to see I th- taxes reduced to zero. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of like a weird anti-democratic, you know, like Walt Disney, you know, private government thing, which, you know, is very, you know, goes, uh, you know, you know, uh, side by side with people who just are, you know, in, you know, anarcho-capitalists, uh, which goes, you know, it's just, it's a very weird, weird world. But here's the thing, you know, honestly, like, it's like you, what do you want to oppose that? You need to say, we have a vision of a democratic, egalitarian, uh, humane system that is going to outcompete you, build more than you, make more stuff happen, and you know, and beat you at everything that people want. Instead, you get people say like, "Oh no, I want the worm to drive the bus, and Choo Choo goes around the block, and oh look, and then this house has been built in 1910, and we're never going to get rid of it because it's you know so quaint." And then just saying it's like that is not like an answer. That's just kind of this weird sentimentalist. Uh, vision and you have to get it's a retreat heart- from ideology and politics and it lets the the awful people get what they want just like yeah. like if you you know you you decide you're like a like you want to bring like a chaz type you know feeling about like oh yeah we want an autonomous zone and in, in in the in the mission or whatever yeah like you're not so are you how will you build things how yes will you build things and I think what's really funny is the progs continue to be, I think, a mixture of savvy people who know what they're doing, and I think increasingly people who are really goofballs, who are authentically idiots, uh, who just kind of like even have good heart, you know, good-hearted intentions, uh, but they're kind of being played. Because you look at like the Peskin yeah. types, the Peskin types, they know exactly what they're doing. You know, he is the kind of guy. You know, I think this is a really you know, in in all the recent Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, I think we see a weird, weird divide. You know, he has historically been very happy to be you know posing with the police. You know, he's you know North North Beach homeowners. You know, they they love their cars and their police, and they just want things to be more or less conservative. Uh, and he has been very happy to be a prog that lets them get what they want. And he works with the West Side homeowners and lets them get what they want. That's why Fewer is a good member of the progs uh, in her district. Uh, but then again, when you see uh, people getting scared who are homeowners because they're afraid of the protests and the, you know what they consider to be riots, uh, there was a curfew being proposed. And you know Peskin and Fewer got behind it. And this is... You know, uh, in the eyes of these people, like, you know, how can you be a good prog and do it? And a lot of people who are progs out of, like, Fewer's district are going crazy. Like, it's like, I love her. She's actually an incredible fighter for, you know, a radical new vision, uh, you know, that's, that's you know, uh, going to change things. But she just screwed up here. It's like, no, this is this has always been the game plan. She is for the homeowners. Uh, and, you know, I think, honestly, when you get down to it, it's very hard to get to an increasingly true believer young guard of people who really do want to see change. In this case, it's defunding the police uh, with a homeowner class, which is truly conservative and is incredibly hard to continue to pretend you can fit it into the prog fold. So it's just it's 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 a uh, it's not going to work anymore. And I, I just think yeah. it's it's. And I, mean, I think that's the thing, too. It's kind of goes on the big question. What is the relationship between radical prog intervention and homeowners? 
because I think you look at like Peskin. Do crocs do radical intervention, or do they just? Well, do I, I well, I think you know uh, the people, the people's vision of who Dean Preston represents. He is someone who is who is Lenin, uh, but in his own well, mind, well, Preston's not a prog, and even like his supporters wouldn't think so either. He's something separate. Uh, or is he? Or is he? Like, has he? How does does he align himself with the progs, Preston? When people talk about divides, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. Hmm. You know, it's a two-party system. There's progs and there's mods, you know. You're talking about the board of supervisors? There's, you know, two mods and seven progs, you know. That's all there is to it. Uh, So I've never heard of being talked about as, like, uh, you know, caucusing independently like Sanders would in in the Senate. That's true. But in these extraordinary circumstances, he can have a chance to caucus independently and lead when it comes to things like like untreaded paths, like like defunding the police and suspending evictions, et cetera, et cetera. Like he's had a chance sure. to wave a third flag because that's something that's something new you can go out for. That's not just the status quo where the operators, you know, have their have their grind and you can't really change it. Well, I think he's, he's done admirably well there. But building housing within the old market rate system is it's where status quo operators thrive. And I think Preston choosing to do nothing rather than participate in it is like it's a lose-lose situation if you don't really have the imagination or political capital to come up with something really different um, sure i mean i think here's, if there's here's no, the thing if there's not something so entrenched like in this COVID system where it's all a new path i think he's been showing up remarkably well yeah i mean here's the thing you need votes you need people to vote with you and people vote on this you know these lines and he needs prog votes to vote for him because certainly the mods won't uh, so he needs to be, he is kind of the young guard of the progs and Haney is close to him in this sense. And he is willing sure. to do things that are, uh, you know, a bit you know, unusual from what the old progs would. But what if like, but what if like the progs put up a candidate against him to take him out, um, in his district? Because like, he's got the DSA types that were like ride or die. Like they did a ton of volunteering for him. Yeah. Guaranteed. That's what got like, took him from like a fringe guy to a could win to a did win was the oh, huge, certainly. you know, thousands of hours of labor from the DSA. Like, I don't think they would support... A... Do you think the DSA would support a prog? Do the internet DSA types see through someone like a Peskin? Um, or do they... Yeah, because kind of... How, how would that increasing, show Increasingly, like, yes. Votes? The question... I mean, uh, here is the difference in the discourse evolving. Five years ago, mm-hmm. everyone would die to support Aaron Peskin, and that's the saddest thing I've heard in my life. I mean, he's, this guy's a landlord, uh, and like, it's like, boy, like, is this guy really your progressive hero? And I think it's you know actually good now that uh, for all the reasons I think that you know uh, Preston is uh, uninspiring in some ways, he is at least someone you can look at and say like, oh yeah, you know, I can kind of, I can kind of see something really beautiful here. Uh, so yeah. and he and has been people... showing up in a lot of ways, but when it comes down to like, and like I think he's been doing so well because the question of housing and land use is so off the table in a way that anyone understands. Well, and let's so talk about the... like, yeah. like the hotel bill, yeah. um, and like have that be new and good. But when it comes back to yeah, do we build a market rate quadplex? He might just go back to like doing the face of the angry squinting cat from the memes. So here here is a big question, which is: Is San Francisco a spreadsheet? Is San Francisco just a weird node in which you have inputs and you have outputs uh, and, you know, you just input a bunch of tech money and billionaires? It's mostly rectangular. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very rectangular-based city. 
But I mean, here is here is the question of just kind of when it comes down to housing, what is housing? Is housing finding a line in that spreadsheet or is it taking this actual physical slice of pie in determining where stuff goes, who owns it and why? And yeah. in no uncertain way, I mean, here's the thing, like it is that's why land use is so, so deadly. It isn't a line in the spreadsheet. It is actually the shape of reality. And, you know, for Preston, it's all of your intense power is in and outside of the city. Yes. I mean, okay. So D7 race. Yeah. D7 race happening now. Yeah, sure. D7 race happening now. This is the Norman Yee seat right now. He's terming Mm -hmm. out or whatever. He's just not part of it. But everyone running, awful. Awful. I think everyone's a homeowner. Uh, People love homeowners. They are all fighting to say, like, you know, the most one people would say would be kind of like a Palo Alto style, like, the growth in Palo Alto. It's like, I mean, D7 essentially is a little slice of Palo Alto in San Francisco. It's disgusting. Thank you for making me think about Lydia Ku again. I, I don't Oh, it's wonderful. It. She, she supports, you know, Black Lives Matters. You know, she's, she's a good woke liberal. Uh, but, you know, Ugh, that's, just going to work that through like a kidney stone. Ugh. Yeah. And this is the big question, which is what are you going to do to actually fix D7? Uh, I mean, it's it's been 40-something years before they didn't used to have district elections. Honestly, I if you, if you say, like, would it be better if they didn't? I'd say, honestly, yes, because I think the fact that so much of the city, it's like the Senate. People are actually determined by what land they represent. <laughs> and in the same way that you're going to get conservative uh, you know, representation from, uh, you know, Montana, uh, you know, because of big empty states or whatever, uh, you are going mm-hmm. to get conservative representation from the big low density swaths of SF. And what is going to change that? So because nominally, also- the SF districts are nominally assigned by population, right? Like they do move around every so often, and they're like they the the bigger districts are in the less dense parts, and the smaller districts are in the more dense parts. Well, I think it's yeah, it's like the House of Representatives. Like if you're from a rural district, you yeah. are going to represent your rural district interests. If you're yeah, from I mean, a suburban district in San Francisco, you're going to represent your your outer sunset interests. I think that is absolutely clear. Yeah, and I think even if it you know it's even if there isn't really above board gerrymandering, it just you are guaranteed to have you know people who are conservative on certainly land use things because if you talk about the sunset, that is their main thing. You look at like Jane Kim running for mayor; she went to the sunset and said like. You know, I will I will preserve your way of life. You know, don't worry. You will not see any tall buildings here. Good people, the sunset. And, you know, in the Peskin types and the in the <sighs> Preston Wonderful. types and the Haney types all know to say, oh, yeah, there's a rule here to keep our votes together. You don't rock the boat with the sunset. You don't rock the boat with D7. You don't rock the boat with D1. And, you know, it just when it all comes together, it's a boy. That is so, so, so sad. Uh and uh, like, what is the way forward? Because we also have supervisorial prerogative, which allows if you are the person in D7, you can make sure you're never going to get a single house built in your place uh, as long as you uh, you just stick your nose out. So as long as a D7 person is going to keep D7 safe from any housing, how is the world ever going to get better here? Uh, and I mean, even if you have a vote against them, you can't even topple it from the outside in. You know, it's 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 dire. Yeah. And well, I, if you I think... have a strong if you have a strong mayor who favors the status quo and won't lift a finger in any structural sense to like like she'll appoint her people to the the uh, planning commission or approve of people in the planning commission that, you know, do or 
don't do a dang thing, you know, to her political taste because she's an operator because she's a yeah. And it's so funny to see all the you know big people. I, mean, I think it was since the last time we talked, uh, Dennis Richards, who is the planning commissioner uh, dude, uh, who uh, oh you know, Denise just, Richards was so hot in the nineties. Oh. oh yeah, but he, uh, this guy's even hotter. Uh, no, I mean he was. He's oh Dennis. Guy, oh no. Let's yeah. This guy. Yeah, Dennis Richards. He's the guy who went down to Palo Alto to support Lydia Koo, to support everyone else. Oh, he goes no. on like KQED. Uh, but then. But then he he's kind got of he's into, kind of daddy though. This picture of him, he has like a big like he has a big like Amish beard. Yeah, I think I, he's a muscular Dr. Phil type. Uh, but he he uh, got in trouble. Poor guy, poor guy for uh, you know buying up houses, evicting people, and selling it for more money. You know, just you know, it's kind of funny. Like the frogs uh, oh. under the line. You know, I think three or four of them are landlords. All of them are homeowners. Some of them, like uh, Hillary Ronan, had evicted people while moving into a place. Uh, you know, it's just across the board. It's like it's just weird how there is this kind of weird mm-hmm. seedy underbelly. Like we are crooks, we are evil, but we're part of the good team. It's normal. So, it's normal because they have like yeah, they have this they have this ideological deep ideological commitment it gets them in power. That's who they represent, and like it's actually good. That they yeah. do this. Like, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's just, it's just very... Too. He's a homeowner. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think it goes down to it. I can either say in one sense, it's like, tisk tisk tisk. You are being bad fellows. And that's just lame. Because honestly, I don't want to go around and be like a goody two-shoes with politics and say like, oh, everybody should be a good person. It's like, no, I want people who are scumbags, but are doing the right thing for being scumbags. I'd rather have... You know, some weird, you know, uh, honest graft in the train world that actually produces more trains. Instead, we have weird people in the planning world who at once are suppressing the additions of new of, of new places in order to actually uh, buoy their private grift in flipping houses, yeah. which is like... Well, honest graft would only ever... Honest graft moves in the direction that, that like, the gravy train moves in, in economic growth. If you're yeah. in New York in the early 20th century, that's in, you know speculating on land and stuff like that if you're on if you're in la in the 30s or 20 or 40s it's you know buying up big tracts and getting them developed uh, but in the gravy train now is holding on to your house and your yeah. investment property and making sure that's you know slick and non-dramatic to evict people there when you want to do this or that and that's that's the craft and it's like it's disappointing in its like lack of of impact and and like in and its lack of like panache as compared to like your um your tammany hall honest graph yeah. no i, I think that's like, the thing it's like yeah it you're is... just doing a total like dirty handshake deal like this is just you're like sitting inside your house like tight-lipped in complete darkness like reading next door and checking redfin and being like yeah it's all been worth it it's like shut up you're doing this yeah, for five hundred thousand dollars like shut up at least have the at least have the courtesy to like defraud the government for millions buying your you know your apricot orchard or whatever yeah it's 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 so much more inspiring if you like watch something about you know corruption in japan in the 50s and all these you know oh yeah you know incredibly you know uh tense room full of you know people in expensive suits who are like somehow making you know hundreds of millions of yen in you know corruption on building the bullet trains but at the end you got the bullet trains you got these like massive yeah you got the dang bullet trains yeah, yeah it, it, the SF way, and then a neo, and then a neo, um, neo nationalist bursts in and kills someone with a sword. And you're like, damn, yeah, it's, we should have yeah, this in Congress. 
it's always dramatic. But you know, in SF, mostly the this, mostly the latter things. <laughs> I mean, in SF, you have the same amount of corruption, of diseased graft. I mean, and and I'd say not to take that. I'd say it's a fact you lack the drama and anything good coming from you have the Richard scary version of graft you know you still have the worm driving the bus and everyone still lives in the same house but somehow people are getting evicted somehow people are like you know doing a bunch of like dumb realtor moves and in the end people are getting rich and it's still the same stupid Richard scary town at the end and it's like yes. and the same well, and, and, and everyone... all the people that like are spending all their energy trying to make the world better and whatever going out canceling people and doing this or that and posting on Twitter like completely missing the point of who the people are on the local level that are making the world worse and they're actually doing these 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 deals that are making them and like doing these political operations that are making the city worse or standing in the way in between you and your your richard scary city because they don't care it's not it's it's not exciting it's not cancelable they don't understand i sure i certainly don't understand it's much easier to yeah to find someone who you know someone openly screws up once every 10 years yeah someone's saying like oh it's bus yeah. I mean, someone was saying, like, oh, Dean Preston, you know, how dare you say a single bad thing about him? He's spent, you know, uh, thousands of his own dollars to help house people in hotels. I'd say, great. That's a great personal moral pin uh, is, you know, good, good on him. That's 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 good. But here's the thing, like, uh, in the last 10 years, real estate in all of SF went up not by a few thousand dollars, but instead by $280 billion. That is with a B, a billion dollars. And here's the thing, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and when you are stupid about it, when you go around, you know, just living in a world in which preventing anything from happening is the only good thing you can do in your life, what happens at 280 billion? It continues to churn around, it gets into a lot of people's hands, and it happens in a very regressive way. The homeless don't get a single cent. Most working people don't that. get a cent. You know, I mean, if you're lucky, you get a nice, you know, stable place to live in the city, continue to work. Everything gets more hard, like harder to kind of keep above water every year. But you can at least, you know, you can at least live here. But the $280 billion actually goes to people, you know, and that's a lot more billions than the number of billionaires in the city. You know, if you actually tap into that, you can do a lot of stuff with it. And as far as uh, actual affordable housing scraped back from this real estate boon, uh, is the figure is they got like $910 million, which is to say they got something which is, uh, you know, a, a fraction, a, a fra- far less than a fraction of 1%. Uh, and like, boy, guys, you know, it's just like being stupid and 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 and, and raising up the uh, the virtue of quaintness is not commendable. I, you know, I want to see you like actually. Yeah, yeah. people and, are gullible. People are mar- people are letting them. Yeah, they're really putting the mark in Marxist, letting themselves <laughs> be taken by this, like, yeah, and not you know actually having a real vision and understanding of who these people are and how power works. It's a shame. It is a, it is a shame. And I, I think, I mean, you know, is it true when they talk about, you know, Dean Preston, someone says, you know, uh, he's not as anti-density as we thought, referring to the fact he is, in fact, dense. Uh, he's not too bright. And that's, hey. that's a thing. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good zinger. And, I mean, I don't want to go out and just, like, call a guy stupid, but it is, un- it is unfortunate that we that's have a the mixture. That's Twitter is to roast people. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's the issue of do you have like a city in which the virtues are you have a bunch of just uninspiring chamber of commerce ghouls, you have even worse 
weird kind of realtor hustle ghouls uh, in the form of kind of the old style Peskin progs. And now you have kind of a new mod of people who are ostensibly extreme, but, you know, can't even figure out how to do a damn thing to actually, you know, change things outside of his few, I think, uh, skill sets, which is how do you help people who are tenants stay housed, which is certainly commendable. I think he's certainly part of a good picture. But, like, that is should not be the brain trust. And that's no vision it, of the future. And that's, like, that's what we have, which is yeah. crazy. It's, it's because pretty Because he's only able to get his coalition by, like, having a certain spending his whole career helping people. And yeah, exactly. like he's cashing in on his rental properties and stuff like that, but he could have gone and worked for a white shoe law firm. And he did choose to like use his like mini rentier fortunes to finance his political career and like good left wing pro tenant actions, which you know, good for him in that regard. But like yeah. that's what you've got in terms of people who can get to where he's gotten. Yeah, and I think you have, like, you know, people who actually do have uh, intelligence and vision, and yet what do they do is they spend their time actually saying, it's like, oh, no, actually my, my dumb friends said something stupid, but actually it's very wise. Let me explain it for them. And no one ever actually says, like, it's when competence becomes a liability because it is wonkish, you just get, a like, a giant pool of people who just, I think, celebrate each other's, you know, uh, just, I think, simpleness as saying, like, yeah, well, this is how the, you get... And the, the great, you know, red the great red giant star in the middle of that solar system is uh, Metaglacius, of course. And this is, yeah, I think, the two... the Metaglacius. Yeah, that's the two dueling ideologies, which is just simply, are you an annoying know-it-all, or are you a refreshing person who's authentically stupid? You know, and I think... Yeah. I, Neither are good. I'd rather have someone who is perhaps not an annoying know-it-all, but actually knows how to do things. Uh, and I think someone who has humil humility, but is you know not in fact stupid. Well, see, the uh, and, thing is, if you know how to do anything at all, like that means you've got a pretty small lane. Like if you're, if you're, um, like if you're Dean Preston, you're a tenant's lawyer and advocate. Like you're yeah. you're honing your left-wing thought and policy and practice through that. But when you get to become a supervisor, like you're starting from scratch on a lot of things. And now you're just going to dip into your, your ideology and experience as a landlord and homeowner and look what you get. So like, yeah, I think that's yeah. like, like, I think like, and now that everyone's like, so focused on like, Oh, politicians have to be experts. I'm like, great. Now any person who's going to be outside the political system who might, might want to make some real change, who hasn't just come up through the feeder system of, you know, of political sludge like because that's what you are if you are a career political expert you're someone who maybe good faith wants to change things but has been has been made a complete tool of the system or you're just a total cynical operator who wants to make the world worse those are the two kind of people who like who are continuing to be invited to the party as political and experts and you see what happens which is the the division of people if you're if you are kind of the raw material being pushed in this you're pulled to one node and the question is how willing are you to put up with idiots and i think if people are like it's like if some people do get, just get sick of it and i think that is why they they get pushed in one node which is like okay if you get put up with these people they're going to annoy you they're going to be wrong they're going to be loud they're going to clap a lot uh, but you know, it's, they're, they're good people, good hearts. Clap and it's like, you won't be able to actually do anything. You're going to continually, you know, be ignored or you can go to the other tribe and the other tribe is kind of the, 
you know, the dark Silicon Valley ideology, which is like, you're going to actually be put under the wings of a very savvy person who is actually hates everyone, but they love competence and you're going to be admired and promoted. And eventually you will become, you know, the smartest, you know, uh, boy urbanist under this guy's wing. And, you know, and this is like SF's awful dichotomy is you get the people who are the most smug, the opposite of humble, uh, you know, just, yeah. just, just people show up and they, they run the orgs because they, you know, they found people who will let them. Because uh, they're goody, good boy careerists. And like you see this on the national yeah. level as well. Like yeah. people who are totally against change and who are totally anti-populists, like just, you know, selling their book, like selling themselves to get what essentially is like a, like a, yeah, a job or a book deal or whatever just completely just completely free of like completely free of shame or completely free of any even free of pretensions to be helping someone bigger than themselves yeah and i think that's the thing too yeah they're absolutely manipulated because like in the silicon valley infrastructure you get people who say like i want to use technology to make the world a better place and what do they do they get stuck into a system which a guy you know uh, for the company's board compiles, you know, untold billions and trillions in order to like sell ads. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, yeah. that's the or overall, you're like, I want racket. to help teachers around the world, teach little kids in Africa. So you start an ed tech company that gets bought by a, a, a venture capital firm. And then the venture capital firm just uses it to replace American teachers and bust up unions by, you yeah. know, reducing the number of teachers and, and, and cutting in on, on, um, on school districts. Because if it turns out, if you don't have a critique of capital and you don't really have an ideology, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. So this either is what side, happens. yeah, either side is eventually captured by grifters. You know, if you are on the good side, which is about going quaint, you get caught up in you know the quaintness grifters. And if you're part of the people who are, I'm, I'm actually I'm the house of Slytherin, and I am Ugh. going to like it's like it's like you're still God, going to be captured by the worst. You know, it's like either side is yes. you know just you know uh, it's it's just it's just doomed. And I think that's well, I, mean, the thing. I think people just have to stay vigilant. And the official Henry George program line is that you have to both have a critique of capital and an understanding of land use. Yes, and I think I mean that is I think that is the kind of uh, radical vision of Henry George is it is something in which actually making the railroads and actually making great new machines is good and actually change the world is good. But at the same time, enthusiastic and naive amateur is good in the American tradition. And like the fraudsters that write economic treatises and the fraudsters that speak for the railroad companies, the fraudsters that speak for the tech companies are highly qualified but they are fraudsters who are selling you a line and a qualified amateur can stand on a hill and look out over the city and be like this is bs yes and i I think the other the other half of it is it does not mean that you sit down and worship elon musk because if you do you know it's just kind of what are you doing you're groveling at kind of a system which is at once you know regressive and just doesn't really have kind of a transformative egalitarian future for people but you can have mm-hmm. both you can have a you can have a world that actually is shiny but then also at the same time doesn't mean that you uh you kind of uh worship the most you know uh regressive anti-democratic uh disrupting ghouls out out here and yeah that's i mean i think it's a pretty good thing to have as opposed to well, just even like democracy like, is like should be detached like you you can't just be for or against democracy because democracy is used 
cynically as a tool by people who want to disenfranchise people, people that want to make things worse, or like completely like ignored and struggled under by people who want to make things better. Like, do not insist to follow the rules of democracy. Lead with your ideology, and then your sentiment, yeah. and then your then your tactics and your logic so he, and all that stuff. Here's a, here's a question about ideology and you know what, <laughs> how much are pe- are people knowing? Uh, when they are uh, employing a certain program, uh, you know, Dean Preston pushed for a real estate transfer tax. The real estate transfer tax uh, famously only cuts in at $10 million. Well, how did that figure get picked? You know, get it picked, did it get picked cynically because it's not going to upset all the homeowners? Uh, you know, or is it because actually he feels in his own quaint ideology uh, that, oh yeah, if, if you sell a thing for $8 million, you know, that's kind of like me. I'm just a normal, good-hearted, you know, homeowner. I, I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I you think can it's a see loop. it from there. It's on his, it's on his speedometer in his car. Yeah. It's never going to go that fast, but you can see it. It's on his dial. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Too. I think honestly, my my take is column B. I think it really is. He has he has an ideology. It's not cynical, and it really is. Oh yeah, my vision of San Francisco is if you have. A multi-million dollar house as long as it's single figure millions you're a normal person and that's not a good way to run a city honestly when you have people it's not out in the streets it's not critiquing the thing as it it's barely critiquing the thing as it is and it's absolutely not creating any vision of what should be and that's yeah. that's quite disappointing but he is only he is only one guy he's only one one guy who resembles many of my favorite um some of my favorite leftists and TV celebrities. It is. Uh, it is one the, guy. <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, the, the ideal vision is you'll consi- continue to see a change in who actually holds the, the baton, and yesterday's heroes become, you know, outdated. And but you know, will will that happen? I, I don't know. I think you know things ebb and flow. Things actually move ahead and actually decline. Uh, I'm optimistic insofar as you do having, you know, a, a young, uh, unpropertied class who is, I think, going to cease to align themselves with the homeowners in enough time. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, see, that's the thing. That's what needs to happen. That's why the capital critique and the Yimby critique needs to happen, because they don't know to or if or how to ally or direct themselves against the homeowner class because it flies below yeah. their radar because they don't know how to think about it. And here's the second question is, do the people of Oakland, do they know, can they know that effectively Peskin and even Dean Preston is a class enemy? Because they are the people who are causing their gentrification through their completely benighted land use program. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I would or, say... And then after, a, after decades of people going in and saying, you know, we need to get these, these white ladies out. And then you get a black lady in there who might also perhaps live in Rockbridge and be a homeowner and say the right things and and just, you know, just move things oh, yeah. right out the door and leave you leave you completely flat footed. That can completely happen. Not saying Short it has, circuiting but... by yeah, yeah, identity politics. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's yes. that is a failure mode. Uh, it's 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 very disconcerting because I, I I think you do my main takeaway is you have a large amount of people who are being victimized by a system. Uh, which is to say, I mean in this case most expressly uh, working people of Contra Costa County and Alameda County uh, who are facing gentrification and displacement 
Uh, and yet, it is part of large structures. And you could say, oh, the big structure is capitalism, disrupted. It's like, okay, well, let's let's actually get a little more specific here. But I think a, a, a component of that is you are being victimized by structures which in, in, involve real estate investment flows happening in the greater Bay Area, which involve land use patterns that are happening right across the Bay. And boy, you know, it's like, unfortunately, people in Oakland cannot vote on SF uh, zoning the west side, um, I'd say. Yeah. And ABAG has been made as ineffectual as it has on purpose in order to keep that from happening. So that you can keep things provincial. That you can yeah. keep things like, because yeah, a communist really would say San Francisco from, you know, from Mount Tamalpais down to, you know, Morgan Hill should be one, you know, conurbation that's administrated by one body to complete these goals. Because that's a, that's a broad vision. And that really is recognizing what stands in the way of these big changes is how compartmentalized everything is and how little authority. I'm like, yeah, remove Article 34, too, because that it prevents central authority from doing what's right. Yeah. Step in the right direction. But like big action now, it's just can't wait. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Soviets were certainly not afraid to rezone things. <laughs> they, they they did a yeah, lot. They rezoned a lot of in... Eastern Europe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that too. Uh, so uh I, I don't know. Well, well, if any predictions, well, what, what do you think is, is as far as like the weird divisions in SF politics, it, it getting more or less cursed, or you think it's yeah, you think it's going to have a holding pattern? I think the fireworks discourse coming up in San Francisco is like <laughs> only going to get like dumber and more entertaining. Um, yeah. Are you are you hearing fireworks where you are? Oh, constantly. Yeah, constantly, and over in um in um in Bayview where my workshop is, just constantly like. It sounds like yeah, like 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 playing Half Life Two, and you like a propane canister explode in the distance, and you'd hear like a, a boom, like a deep boom and an echo. Yeah, this is trying to divide tensions between uh, you know uh, working class people and homeowners with dogs. You know, yes. who are who are homeowners with out. with dogs, and the dogs also have PTSD. Yes, no, really, it's yeah. true. It is. I mean, and it's and that's the thing. It's like it's it is when you make people uncomfortable, things happen. <laughs> and and yeah, weirdly sorry, enough, I shouldn't, this... I shouldn't I shouldn't kibitz like that. No, it's true. Like it is it is like that's got to be something to go through. Like if you have a dog that needs a lot of attention, or if you yourself or somebody you love is. Yeah, it is very funny when you have people who are who determines the uh, the self vision, the the narrative of and the myth making of your city. And it's usually, you know, well-to-do people who create effectively the storybook version of where you live. And yeah. in very real terms, you had Sandra Lee Fewer bankroll uh, priced out, which was this awful series of cartoons, which had like, oh, you know, our city used to have make things. We were a beautiful and egalitarian land of manufacturing. And then the techies came in. And like, that's the thing. Uh, like, it's a very easy story. Yeah. And the same oh, kind of thing is like, God. when you have that, it is so Kill patronizing me. that they're saying, it's like, how do the working class live around us? What should they do? And part of it is like, they really should, you know, certainly don't bother the normal people. You should be quiet, be quaint, yes, certainly not. you know, if you're not being quaint, you know, you need to Don't speak unless up, spoken buddy. to. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, you better not shove a firework. <laughs> yeah. Pull yeah. up those pants, as people on Twitter would be very quick to say. Yeah. And, and it just, you and know, that is like... actually figuring out what actually goes on in their own city or people actually feel like doing when they get the autonomy and the self-determination and freedom from police harassment that Black Lives Matter is about. You might have a little fun. Yeah. You might might set up some fireworks on a weekday 
in your own neighborhood yeah. that you finally feel able to do so in. I just think I think it's very fun. It's a very I mean, there's so many weird fissures on every single level, which is essentially when you have like one of the weirdest political coalitions of you know affluent lib homeowners and people who are just I think scraping by and are kind of you know in the underclass or on the verge of falling down into it. It's you know it's odd. <laughs> it's it's weird, odd. and when you have people weighing in from goodness knows where all around the world on things happening in perhaps san francisco specifically it's like yeah how do we how do we do anything how do we have a politics how do we have a polity i don't know who knows i sure don't yeah i would say just don't try to emulate san francisco i think it's really sad if you are someone who is no but i think it's so sad people look at the fact oh you know this is how socialism happens and i'd say Honestly, I think you should look at the way this isn't how socialism happens and actually try to, like, learn from first principles yourself. But uh, oh, in that any takes case, so much work. Oh, it takes a lot of work. It's, so much, easier just... to, it's much easier <laughs> to argue about, like, in what ways Marx was problematic and what things of which you should or should not read than how to apply a Marxist framework to organizing in your city. That's much more difficult. I'd much rather argue about the metatextuals of the books. Because then you don't have oh, to go outside or talk to anybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, always take the easy way out. But uh, yeah, I think we need yeah. to wrap up uh, time-wise. Uh, it, it, ha- it has been real. Uh, it has yeah, been it's been real. real. And that has been a conversation with Max Kapczynski all about San Francisco at the nexus of ideology and aesthetics, why it is so cursed. A lot of stuff we didn't even talk about. There's uh, fun stuff about... Uh, the fight over the McDonald's site in Ashbury and its affordable housing uh, NIMBYs out there. Maybe we'll be addressing that uh, in the future. But in the meantime, you can find all previous episodes of this program at the website seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU, Stanford.